we confess and profess that you are Lord of all. We want our communities to know that you are Lord. We want our homes to know, our families to know that you are Lord. Help us to live in light of that truth. That because you have been raised and given the name above every name, that you are Lord of all. And it's our privilege and honor to now to have heard the gospel and responded to it. I pray that you would help us to take this news with us. That Christ is Lord and why you are Lord. So that those that we come into contact with would know as well. That they would hear because we have been sent. We thank you for your word that proclaims all of this. And for the ways that the Holy Spirit has uh, illumined our hearts. Helped the word to come alive in us. And indeed helped our hearts to be alive in the first place. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Hello, Grace uh, community and family of friends. Uh, this is Greg uh, Oakley from Teen Valley Ranch. Uh, so, so happy uh, to get this opportunity to uh, say hello first and foremost, and, and to thank you uh, just for your friendship, for your support, your love for this ministry, and the work that you're doing in the kingdom. Uh, there in Anger. Uh, uh, the relationships that we have built and that continue to grow over the years with so many of you uh, are, are, are so cherished uh, amongst uh, me, my family, uh, our staff here. Uh, Grace has been uh, one of the most faithful, steady supporters of this ministry for a long, long time, and, and uh, words seem uh, very inadequate uh, as a way to show you how much we uh, thank you, but we do thank you so much. I want to give you a little bit of an update on just what's going on here. It's an exciting time. We had a great summer camp. Uh, We wound up with over 1,400 students, uh, as well as the largest staff we ever uh, have had uh, that I know of anyway. We had about 83 young people that uh, just gave their summers uh, to the Lord and served uh, wonderfully here at uh, at TVR and had just a dynamic summer. Uh, Just many lives changed and the Lord was so uh, wonderfully evident. Uh, We had uh, uh, some wonderful speakers. A fellow, Sean Cross, uh, came down from D.C. and uh, shared with us, as well as uh, kind of a sketchy fellow from uh, your area, Ricky Lee, actually came and spoke as well. Um, But uh, no, uh, both of those guys, uh, again, homegrown from your your community. And uh, we were so blessed to have them, and they they did a wonderful job of just sharing with the students and and just sharing words of life. And so uh, uh, that was a great time. Since summer camp ended, we uh, took a week off uh, after summer camp, and uh, we have actually had, I think we figured up yesterday, 11 uh, groups, uh, nearly 500 people just in the last couple of months of retreat season, which is uh, especially busy for us. We've had uh, four different uh, Christian school groups come in as well as weekend retreats. And so we're very thankful for that. We've got a family retreat coming in this weekend with 33 families, 115, 20 people. So uh, uh, Grace uh, Chapel Baptist Church from down in Sanford. So uh, excited to have them coming in. Uh, also excited to report uh, we have added four new staff members, which we are uh, just all thrilled about our staff, just not only to get some help, uh, but uh, as well, uh, just adding to this to the family here to get to live life with them as well as minister with them. Uh, so uh, Bree Wiringa is from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, has been here several years on retreats, work retreats, and has also has camp experience there in Grand Rapids. Um, Relly Morer uh, graduated from North Greenville University and has actually been working in video and uh, been the cameraman for WTVD uh, 11 News uh, up until uh, today. Today's his first day on staff, and so we're happy to have Relly uh, come on staff. He's been a, a past summer staff with us for several years. Um, as well, Katie Cruz, whose uh, uh, dad works with Liberty University and family lives in Lynchburg. Katie's been on a summer staff the last couple of years. Her older sister, Megan, worked with us also several summers. So we're one, uh, just wonderfully uh, grateful the Lord has brought Katie uh, to us. She's just a spark plug and brings so much uh, life and energy. And finally, uh, Jonathan Wright, uh, who's uh, from uh, North Carolina, Virginia line. He's been on a summer staff the last five years. Jonathan's just one of the most lovable people, uh, very much a servant. 
servant, uh, wonderfully gifted musically. And so uh, on so many levels, it's good to have Jonathan have this whole uh, new group on our team. So if you would uh, keep them in prayer uh, as they transition in life, it's it, it's not just a new job, but it's a new life. They are uh, moving uh, here and living here and uh, help us to know how to love and, and support them in this new calling that the Lord's placed on their life. Um, and as well, uh, if you would just continue to lift us up uh, on a weekly basis, we have a number of groups left uh, uh, coming our way over the next couple of months, as uh, well as our banquet sounding uh, that you're very familiar with, uh, one in uh, Fuquay and also in Greenville. The week of the Fuquay banquet is actually November the 10th, and the Greenville, North Carolina banquet is November 12th. And so those are big nights for us, and we look forward to seeing so many of you there, hopefully, uh, to once again be able to just share our ministry and our hearts. Um, but the Lord has been incredibly gra uh, gracious to us and faithful to us, and He continues to change lives, and we feel uh, very humbled and privileged to be a part of that. And I want you to know uh, the, the huge impact that you are having, you uh as a church and so many of you individually that support uh, this ministry, um, it, it would not be possible without your faithful love and support. And uh, we thank you tremendously. And also want to extend uh, this place to you that uh, we don't want it just to be, uh, we don't want to be an end user here on the, on the mountain, but we would love to be able to share uh, with you all, if, if we can ever serve you in any way as a church or as a family or whatever, please let us do that. Uh, it is our heart uh, to serve the kingdom and to serve those who have been so faithful to this place. So once again, Grace, thank you so much uh, for loving us the way you do and know that uh, we are, we'll do our best to be good stewards of all that you uh, send this way. And uh, we uh, covet your prayers uh, continually and you are in ours as well. Uh, we love you and thank you. God bless you. So a lot of you guys know Greg. How many of you know Greg? Like you see him talking up there, and that's not weird at all because if you go to TBR, especially for like a, an adult retreat, a couple's retreat, family retreat, you're going to find yourself sitting around talking with Greg, like, like many did with Brad over the years, who our, our lead pastor, Pastor Brad, he was uh, the director there for 20 years. Uh, I myself served there for a number of years. Many of you in here, some of you have worked on summer staff. Even this past year, we had three um, students up serving on the summer staff at, at TVR. And you can see the, the staff picture up there on the screen. So they did just add some staff members, and that goes a long ways. That, that, that helps a lot. Because when you go up to TVR, these guys are welcoming you when, you when you arrive in the parking lot. Also the camp dogs. You know the camp dogs if you've been there. They welcome you first usually to see if you have any scraps in your car that you want to dump out. But, and then you have these guys welcome you. They help get you checked in. They, they cook you food. They help lead, they lead music. They teach to you. They uh, open the climbing wall, lead you on hikes, ride horses. And when you leave, they clean up your mess. They do, they do everything. So I know it's a huge blessing for the staff to add some more, some more hands uh, to help them do the, do the ministry up in the mountains. My name is Ricky Lee, and I'm the youth director here at Grace. And every, every week, part of our service is to take some time to pray together. And once a month, we're taking one of our missionaries that we support. And we support many missionaries. You'll see most of their pictures on a wall out in the foyer. And the rest of them, of them you can go to our website. Under About Us, there's Our Missionaries. And you can read about our missionaries, click on their websites, learn more about them that way. But this, this week, our focus is on TVR, Christian Camp and Retreat Center. And you guys just met Greg Oakley, their director. And camp has a huge impact in many people's lives all year round. They don't just have a season and they shut down. You have the, the summer is summer camp. How many of you guys have sent your kids to summer camp in here? A lot of people. So they had, as you heard, I think you said like 1,400, 1,500, I can't remember, uh, come through summer camp. That's a huge ministry. And then that ends, and they immediately go into fall retreats. And in the fall season, they have, they have churches that come up and do family retreats. They have couples retreat. They have ladies retreat. How many of you guys have been to couples retreat? A lot of people have been to couples retreat. And then in the winter, they take people over to Beach Mountain and Sugar Mountain. You can go skiing. And, of course, they have sessions at, at night. And in the morning, they're teaching you the word. And then in the spring, they go into mission trips. They have retreats come in who help do work around the camp, as well as family retreats also. And then you go right back into summer camp. So the, the year just doesn't really end for them. Um, it's continuous. So they, they would very much appreciate our prayers all year round. 
but my home group, um, this is our missionary, and this is our, our month to share. So we're going to focus on praying for them this morning. But also a few announcements about TVR. A lot of you guys, as you showed a minute ago, you've sent your kids, and then you've been there for a couples retreat, but you haven't been there together. So we are going to do a family retreat um, as part of Grace Community Church. We're going to have a family retreat at camp up in March. Okay, it's going to be a little chilly still. The dates are going to be March 18th through 20th, but that's the only weekend they had. Well, they had an August weekend, but we go to camp the last week of July. So um, I guess the good thing is everything your kids left, it would probably still be there when we went back up. So it could have worked out. But So we, we had to settle for this March date this time, but hopefully maybe, maybe a, a later fall date will open up or a later spring date next year. So sign-ups for the family retreat are actually open as of this morning on our website. You can go to graceccnc.org. It's on your bulletin as well, and you can register. And on our website, it shows the list of prices, and you click there, sign up, put in all your information. You have a spot. They have 27 cabins. We can take 27 families. You heard that Grace Chapel had 33. If you want to share, we can take as many as you want. So if you want to share your room, um, we're... We'd love for many of you guys to, to come and to experience camp together. Don't worry, parents. We're not going to make you do the slopperoo um, like your kids have to do in the, in the, in the summertime. And, and kids, we're not going to make you do the romantic candlelight dinner like your parents do at the couple's retreat. It's going to be a time together. You will get to ride horses, play putt-putt if you want. Or you can turn your kids loose, let them go, grab a cup of coffee, kick back, and do nothing all weekend if you want. That's the good thing about, about family retreats. They will uh, take, take kids off, and they'll do programming for them during session time. All the adults will remain in the, in the meeting room. That time of year, the fireplace will absolutely still be going. So I um, encourage you guys to consider the, the, the family retreat. So we have many that have worked at camp. We have many that are working at camp even this past summer. We are going there for a family retreat. We've been there for a couple's retreat. We've been there for summer camp. We are going this January for winter camp, Grace Community Students. We're going, just open registration for that this year. So you see, we're very involved in this ministry. Um, so let us go to the Lord, a time of prayer, um, to support them not only with taking people up there and receiving the blessing of the, of the ministry that they do, but let us also uh, remember to pray for them, not only this morning, but take your bulletin with you, pray for them throughout the week. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this ministry up in the mountains. We thank you that there is a place that we can go and we can rest. Lord, we thank you for the people that you have called to the work of camp ministry. We thank you for even leading them new staff during this busy season where they have kids coming in from Miami, families coming in from North Carolina. They have just a vast, just different, um, different kinds of people coming in that they have to interact with. Um, even within the course of one week. And Lord, as we prepare to give our offerings, um, Lord, let us, let us not forget um, to offer up prayer. That's something we can, we can all give. We can give our time. We can give our heart to, uh, to the work of the ministry of the missionaries we support. And this week, we focus on camp, on TVR. And we pray that you will continue to provide for that ministry um, we thank you that we can give to them monthly, but we pray that more churches will, will, will come up that will be able to support them on a monthly basis. For the banquets that are coming up, that you will provide uh, in a mighty way at those banquets to meet expenses for projects and just ongoing ministry um, that, that takes place up there. Lord, we pray for the upcoming winter retreat, the upcoming family retreat. Um, we pray that there will be much participation and that you will build a unity in our body as we go up together and we spend the weekend together, that uh, we will seek you together. And Lord, that we'll come back unified. Lord, not wanting to keep to ourselves the hope that we have in Jesus and that we share together, but wanting to tell others about it. Lord, give us a heart for the lost. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church yet again. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. I'm grateful that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, we saw Greg Oakley a while ago and a lot of you have been up to TVR to Teen Valley. I lived there for 20 years, lived in the mountains for 20 years. And I love the mountains. Allison and I ran up just overnight on Sunday this past week, and uh, you might want to run to the row in front of you, I think is where you uh, 
Well, I'm going to tell some things that she doesn't even know I'm going to tell this morning, so I may be in big trouble when I get home. But I was going to say, I, you know, living in the mountains as long as I did, I, I, if you had said, hey, why don't you get away from the stress a little bit? Let's go over here in this part of the mountains. I would have thought, uh, how about we go to the beach? That way, you know, you'll get away. I love the beach. I just love the, the sights and sounds, the, the, the sea uh, breaking on the shore. Uh, I, I, I love to just sit under an umbrella so that I don't have to put that wretched sunscreen on my body. Although I usually do because you know how it is. Um, I, I love walking along the edge of the shore just drinking in the God who created this beauty. Getting physical exercise and nourishment for the soul all at the same time. I used to enjoy going out into the ocean when somebody would coax me out of my lounge by the sea kind of mentality. I mean, I never chose to go in the ocean, but if somebody said, let's go in the ocean, I would say, all right. And I had a good time riding the waves in, body surfing. No longer do I test the waters beyond ankle deep, though. As I saw on YouTube, the ocean is the shark's house. And if you go in the shark's house, don't be surprised if he eats you. If a chicken walks into my house, I'm going to eat him. So if you go into the shark's house, don't be surprised. I'm going to leave the shark alone in in his house. Allison and I went to the beach on our honeymoon. We went to Aruba, in fact, after determining that flights and all, it was cheaper than three or four days in Duck, North Carolina. If you've ever been to Duck, it's a beautiful place. It really is gorgeous on the Outer Banks. But I couldn't believe it. Cheaper to fly to Aruba, stay down there, eat and everything than it was to go to Duck. Um, It was in Aruba that Allison and I began to discover some of our differences. I mean, we, we had focused on all the ways that we were just exactly alike up to this point. In Aruba, some of the differences. See, I had this beach boy kind of honeymoon in my mind. We'll get there fast and then we'll take it slow. (laughs) Allison had this kind of honeymoon in mind. We'll get there fast and then we'll take it a lot faster. (laughs) I mean, I was for lying under those coconut trees, you know, and licking at the ocean. Allison took us for a jeep ride on the back of the... The island, you know, filled with rocks and gullies, all kinds of... I was for eating, she was for kayaking. The one place that Allison wanted to relax was lying on a float, drifting on the ocean in the shark's house. I mean, we're, we're in the ocean, drifting, just lying... One of the things that I really admire and envy greatly about Allison is if she is still for any length of time at all, she's out. I mean out. I want you to know that if I had not been there for her five years ago on that day, she may be drifting right now somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. It's no telling. But I had you covered, honey. I would actually rather be drifting in the Atlantic Ocean with you than here on land without So maybe I'll get out of trouble with that. (laughs) Look, you've heard those kind of stories. though. Maybe you've got one of those stories where you're you're on a float, you're you're in a little boat, and you're not really paying attention. You're just enjoying the beauty of the day. And then you say, wait a minute. Shore is a lot farther away than I remember it being an hour or so ago. What's happened? You've been drifting, and there's little that's funny about those kinds of stories when they really true, when you hear those true stories. That happens to people. They just drift away into danger before they even know it. Drifting is the analogy that the author of Hebrews used to warn his readers and listeners about the danger of moving away from Jesus. In fact, the title reflects the seriousness and the serious tone of the text. Warning, do not drift away (coughs) from Jesus. Nothing cute about the title, just direct, straightforward. (coughs) There's a pattern in Hebrews with regard to the warning passages. 
First of all, there's a lead up to the warning passage with an emphasis on the superiority of, of the person and work of Jesus over all places and all activities, <clears throat> all practices. Jesus is above all. And then there is a serious warning for not taking the message of Jesus to heart. A stern warning against rejecting salvation in Jesus, complete with the dire consequences for doing so. And then it's typically followed with a word of encouragement, with an expression of confidence in both Jesus, he's going to take care of you, he's done this great thing, or we have confidence of you, we know about better things of you, you're not this way. So here it is with Jesus, good things about him, but then there's a a, a serious warning about rejecting him. And then, but, but we don't expect that from you. Expect better things from you because you belong to him. Well, this morning we come to the first of our warning passages, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Last week we read about Jesus being superior to angels. Today we will hear about the stern Warning, or we will hear the stern warning for those who fail to heed the word of God and the message about Jesus. It would be nice if we could go directly from this warning to the encouragement and and encompass all of that today, cover it all today. But we're going to get to it next week. Since this is the first warning passage, it's a little extra ground to cover. But but just know this: when we come to all five of the warning passages, that we'll we'll do it with big picture. In mind, uh, would you please stand as we read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4? <clears throat> Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed According to his will. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your very clear, direct word. We pray that we will listen as those who have ears to hear. And that we will not only receive what you say, but that we will, through the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. There are five different warning passages in Hebrews we're going to encounter in our study of of this book. Commentators are all over the place in in listing each one. A lot of them have a lot larger section that constitutes a warning passage, but um, most often it's because they're including either the build-up or the encouragement afterwards, uh, or both. To the warning passage itself. Hebrews 2, 1 to 4, we're going to be reading about this morning. Then Hebrews 3, 7 through 18, though most actually would say that this passage extends on through chapter 4, verse 13. I'm giving you what the ESV study Bible uh, says about it. By the way, the ESV study Bible notes on Hebrews are fantastic. If you don't have an ESV study Bible, let me encourage you to get one. Because they're really great on this. Then Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. Frankly, these are very, very difficult verses to understand. So when we get there, we'll probably give the most information about the warning passages. Then there's Hebrews 10, 26 to, 20 to 31. You might recall we, we, we read Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, sort of as a pre-Hebrew study. The end of the last series, the beginning of this one, immediately following those great words of encouragement in 1025, um, there is a harsh warning. And then in Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29 as well. 
So what is up with the warning passages? I mean, if you encounter one of these warning passages without context, you might be tempted to think that the author is saying, hey, you have something. Don't throw it away. And you know what? You would be right in reaching that conclusion. Because that's essentially what he is saying. But that begs the question, is it possible or not for a believer to lose his or her salvation? Can you lose your salvation or not? Here's one of the things that we don't tend to think about as clearly as we should in our day. Scripture doesn't ask the same kinds of questions in the same kinds of ways that we do. So it's not answering them exactly like we want them answered. They're legitimate questions. It's just that there's more to it than saying, well, what does the Bible teach about this or that? It, 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 it's deeper than just a, a very short answer. The word <clears throat> salvation is quite prominent in the book of Hebrews, particularly at the end of chapter 1 and in our text today. The therefore in Hebrews 2.1 ties the two passages together. So he's talking about salvation. And he's saying, be careful lest you lose it. When reading the warning passages, there, there are two extremes that we would do well to avoid. One extreme is this. And by the way, at any point in this message, don't make a judgment about where I'm going Wait till the end, and then you can say, well, I agree, disagree, you can pick it apart. But just listen to the whole before you draw conclusions. So the first extreme is to say, oh, sure, he talks about drifting away from Jesus. But if a person is truly saved, he's not going to drift away from Jesus. Once saved, always saved, I say. And it's sort of a simplistic approach to the doctrine of eternal security. Hebrews 6 tells us that Jesus is our anchor. He keeps us from drifting. It does say that in Hebrews 6. And it's also true that the best interpreter of Scripture is other Scripture. It's not a commentary. It's not... It's other Scripture. What does the whole of Scripture say? What does what is the canon... Of scripture say. But it is also true that we can easily diminish the impact of a particular passage by seeking to explain what God is not saying in a verse. Spend so much time saying, well, we know that, that that's not possible for, the, for this and this to be true, so we have to understand this in a different way. There's some truth to that as you're going to hear but don't get carried away with it. The, the second extreme, in fact, is that we need to avoid denying the truth of the whole. And the many security passages in Scripture by saying something like, Jesus will never let you go, but you can surely walk away from him. See, we're, all, we're constantly trying to find ways to explain what we believe. What I've had to wrestle with this week, and I'll talk about this a little later, is that I try to explain Scripture in the ways that I want to believe it. That's convenient. It's convenient for me to believe it. If for no other reason, because I've always believed it that way. Haven't changed one single primary belief this week. So again, don't. Don't think I'm going anywhere with that. So, if you're saying, though, by saying, well, no, you can't lose what God has given you, but you can sure throw it away. I mean, God's never going to leave you, but you can leave Him. And some of these passages, in fact, a lot of these passages seem to indicate that very thing. But if you say that someone who is a genuine believer can throw away the gift of salvation, then you're faced with an equally difficult task of ignoring passages that indicate if we belong to Jesus, nothing can separate us from God. 2 Timothy 2.13 goes so far as to say, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. Wow, that's an encouraging verse. But before you say, aha, see... See what I'm talking about? Look at the one right before it. If we deny him, he also will deny us. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Denying Christ seems to be what these Roman Christians, this little house church full of Jewish believers was thinking about doing. That was the danger they faced. We surmise, if you haven't been here for the first three weeks, I would encourage you to go back and Listen to those messages because they lay the foundation for everything that's going to be said beyond that. And, and we surmise that this is a little house church in Rome, mostly comprised, if not entirely comprised, of Jewish believers who were tempted to say, you know, enough of this. We've lost so many people. People, it's just not going the way we expected it to go. And I think I'm just going to go back to being a Jew and Jew only who lives under the the, the umbrella of the law of Yahweh. So, in their minds, these Jewish believers would still be worshiping Yahweh, but if Jesus is God, the writer has said, then that argument falls short. It just is not going to get you where you want to go. So let's think about the warning that was given in these first four verses of Hebrews 2. You can tell that the author of this section of Scripture is a preacher. When he says, pay close attention to what's being said. I like his style when he includes himself in the audience. We must pay much attention, much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. How does one pay attention to the Word? I mean, surely it involves trying not to get distracted during the, the sermon and, and not surfing the web or letting your mind go, that type of thing. But that's hard to do. I know, especially over a period of time, our sermons are, you, if you visited other churches in the area, you may have noticed our sermons are a little longer than other sermons in the area. So we want to keep our minds focused, but, it, but the Jewish understanding of hearing the word involved not only listening well, but also accepting and applying what was taught. When Jesus said, let the one who has ears to hear, let him hear, he was saying two things. One, look, some of you are going to hear this, some of you are not. Some of you are going to follow me, some of you are not. And the ones who are going to follow me, hear it. But he's also saying, and not only believe it, but apply it. Do the things that I'm telling you to do. In Hebrews, the author's primary concern about careless listening was that some would drift away from Jesus. A lot already had. They, They had gone back to the safety of the Jewish Community, although many Jews would tell you that a safe Jewish community has been an oxymoron since Abraham. I mean, never has there been a safe Jewish community. It was a far safer community, though, in the, in the face of Roman persecution than was the Christian community. Everybody was against Christians, and especially Jewish Christians. Drift, indeed, is a nautical term. And it's, it refers to a boat that just kind of lazily gets carried away by water currents that are hardly discernible at first. So which was it for the believers at Rome? Were they just kind of casually drifting away from the Lord? Or were they saying, look, I, I don't think I can take this anymore. I'm going to walk away. I'm just going to... Look, I think Jesus is a good guy. He's a teacher. He's, he was all of this. But I'm going to go back to my Jewish roots. It was probably both. I mean, life had taken its toll on them, and the certainty and joy of the early days of their walk with Christ had eroded over time. Not only did the Romans suspiciously eye them as, and, 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 and look at them as possible scapegoats for the ills of society, but the Jewish believers considered them traitors to their race and to Yahweh. Maybe they could at least make peace with the Jews. So can I ask you a question? How much has your faith cost you with your family? I mean, there are people in your family that think you're absolute nuts. 
for trusting Jesus. You've known people that come from those kind of families, haven't you? I visited a family in a country on a mission trip, and they told me that everybody in their family wanted them to be committed to an institution. I mean, listen, these people were enormously successful. But people said, in the family said, you're crazy. And they said, our daughter hates this idea. And I'm like, yeah, I was a camp director. I can talk with your daughter. And I tried, and she screamed at her parents. And I was just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It cost a lot for a lot of people to follow Jesus. And you know, maybe that was the case in your family too. In those early years when people said, my family told me, look, I wanted, they didn't use these exact terms, but they, a lot of them said, I wanted you to get saved, but not that saved. I mean, I, I wanted you to follow the Lord, but come on, let's don't be a fanatic about this. So maybe in those early days, you were so filled with love, the love and joy of Christ, that you gladly assumed the role of religious fanatic in your family. Over time, though, the sense of isolation begins to wear on you when everybody else sort of excludes you. You're the one that gets left out of certain conversations. You're the one they get really angry with really quickly. You always go to church even though your family doesn't go with you. And that's kind of awkward because you're out there on your own and you're missing this family event. And Hey, wait a minute. You know what? Going to church every time you possibly can, that's kind of a legalistic thing, isn't it? I mean, we look, we can hear the podcast, right? In fact, we can hear far better preachers than ours anytime we want on the internet. Say, it, I don't know, is this, it may be an, an optical illusion, but does the shore seem farther away to you than it did? There are so many causes of spiritual drift. I'm going to talk about it in home group this week. I mean, it may be the result of careless neglect, or it may have begun with the wounds that were inflicted on you in spiritual warfare, wounds that you didn't even see coming. Those are deep sometimes. All you meant was to serve the Lord and to love people. And they hated you for it. And they attacked you. That's hard. It's not that you plan to walk away from the Lord. Not not just yet, anyway. But it wouldn't hurt to tone down the devotion and the service. In fact, now that I think about it, I may be experiencing burnout. And that wouldn't be good for my family or for the kingdom. You know what? It's very true that you can overload yourself to the detriment of yourself and everybody around you. And when I talk about this, I am not in any way referred. Look, some of you served the Lord for years in the back with the kids. You need a break. Elders have a built-in rotation where you can take a sabbatical you can take a time off deacons my goodness why do you think we have so many deacons that were adding to the board that's a it's a heavy load and there are times that people need to step back from serving the lord but stepping back must never become stepping away and there's danger when you step back Stepping back can be the best thing you could possibly do. But it could be the worst thing you could possibly do. And drift happens when we don't even know it. It's kind of like, oh, I just got to take a break. It's been too hard. It's, I get it. What is the danger of spiritual drift when so many people seem to be very spiritually minded and to just be fine without Jesus in the church? Verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
was declared at first by the Lord, by Jesus. And God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The author is making an argument from lesser to greater. You'll find this a lot in Scripture. If Here's one thing. Now here's a much greater thing. I mean, you remember from last week that the, the Jews understood that God had given the law to Moses primarily through angels. Exodus and Deuteronomy both tell us that the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. But then Exodus or Deuteronomy also tells us that the Lord comes with his flaming angels, with thousands of angels. And, and the Jews understood that the angels had brought the law or mediated the law, been served as a mediator from God to man for (coughs) God's word to come to us. The author is not saying that the law is no longer meaningful. Although he certainly is saying that salvation through Jesus is far superior to trying to obtain salvation by keeping the law. He's going to make the fact, the case, in fact, that it is impossible to, to earn salvation through keeping the law. None of us can do it. God's law delivered to his people was perfect. Nothing wrong with the law at all. But the law has no power to save anyone. The law has no power to make you righteous So that you can be worthy to stand before God. Nor does the law have any power to make you righteous as a Christian. You can't say, well, I was saved by grace, but now it's up to me to keep the law. The law can't do anything like that for you. It gives the standard. It shows the way. But unless the power comes from God, the law only condemns us when we do not keep it. It was my intention last week and then again today to list all of the ways that Hebrews presents presents Jesus as superior to any one or any practice. But we have so many lifts already going on that I just haven't found the spot to put it in. We'll get to it someday, I promise you that. And, and, And that's the same case with these warning passages. There's much more to say about them that will be covered in due course. In this first warning passage... The author was saying that if people were punished under the law, and they were for every single sin, every transgression, then how much greater will the punishment be for those who neglect salvation in Jesus? Here's one of the interesting things that people about the ways people interpret these passages, these warning passages. A lot of people say, well... What this warns you is, if, if you're a Christian, you say that you're a Christian, um, and, 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 and then you don't live like it, then there's a real warning in Scripture for you. Look, as much as anything, these texts seem to be saying this. You say that you depend on Jesus for your salvation, that you can do nothing to earn your own salvation. If you walk away from that belief and then you go over here and you start saying, now I'm going to live a certain way so that God will accept me, that's when you're in danger. So actually your behavior may improve. But you're in danger of losing your soul. Application for sure about sin. It's going to talk about that a lot in the book of Hebrews. We're expected as believers to live in a particular way. And it's going to include it in application this morning. But, but he's saying primarily. Don't trust your own goodness. For God to save you. Don't drift away from Jesus. And depend on your ability to keep the law. For salvation. God made Beautiful provision for you all. We're going to read about this provision. In Jesus' sacrifice. And your calling is to trust what he has done for you. If you think that your adherence to the law is is what your salvation is about. You've missed the salvation that has been provided for, for you. So you may be tempted to think. If the primary meaning of this text is to trust Jesus instead of my ability to keep the law for salvation, then as long as I know that Jesus has saved me, I'm good with whatever I do, right? Well, 
it's true that repentance and faith are the ways in which we come to Christ. But if you take this salvation for granted in a sort of a nonchalant, well, hey, look, whatever I do, it's covered by grace. Then you need to be afraid. You need to let this warning passage wash over you. Your sin is a big deal. If God, think about this. These were people who were saying, I'm not so sure that trust in Jesus is the way to be saved. I think I'm going to go back over here to the Jews and and do my best to keep the law. And, And they'll help me in that community. I'll have a lot more support there than I have over here. If the writer is saying to them, if you do that, your soul is damned for all eternity. And he knew that if they stayed where they were, that they were likely to be killed and their children would be orphaned with nobody in the world to care for them. If he said, don't move away from Jesus, even though you may be martyred and your children will be adrift. Speaking of adrift, your children will have nobody to cover for them. Unless you trust me, I'll take care of them. If the writer was willing to say that, do you think it's a light thing to say, hey, look, whatever, no big deal, my sin's covered. I'm good with Jesus. Our text says that the gospel was affirmed, not only by signs and wonders and various miracles, but also by the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to God's people. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, a struggle ensues. All men and women of all time have always had the old nature. Ever since Adam and Eve fell, Adam fell, it, it, it's the old nature that lives in each of us. When we trust Jesus, when we repent of our sins and trust Jesus, then the new man comes to live within us. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And Scripture says that there, those two are always battling The idea that I can reach the place where I will never sin again in this life is not taught in Scripture. It's not anywhere in Scripture. In fact, Scripture says that the Christian life will be a struggle and you'll never be able to do the things you fully want to do. It's one of the great things about heaven. We will do exactly what we want to. But if you're a Christian and you're sinning, you don't want to be, you want to be living for God. And if you're living for the Lord, the old man in you wants to be sinning. The old man is saying, boy, I wish I could do that over there. Or somebody says something and, you know, we try to dress the old man up in the new man kind of language and say, well, the Lord would not be pleased with this, my brother or my sister. And so we sin in that way. Tim Keller has said lately, he's been on this kick lately, and he says, look, sin is this. I cannot pray, I cannot preach without sinning. It's impossible. Because I am so eaten up with myself that it's always going to be there. So the writer is not saying, if you sin, you're in danger of eternal damnation. But if you're thinking about walking away from Jesus and his people, that's cause for concern. Especially if your particular sin is being touched on and you don't like it. You you might say, look, I'll I'll just go to another church. There are plenty of churches around here where people are far more progressive and far more accepting of my lifestyle. Remember this. God and the warnings in his word go with you. So how might we apply this passage? Three thoughts to carry with you this coming week. First, the gospel is the greatest news ever heard. Do not neglect it. How shall we escape if we neglect such Salvation, such great salvation. You think the law is something? That's nothing compared to what Jesus has done. Look, the law, who wouldn't 
appreciate the law. It's a great ethical standard for mankind. And yet this salvation that we have in Jesus is so much greater. There are few people anywhere who would deny the value of the law of the Old Testament. But you might have, you know, you're saying, look, you, you would look at that and you say, so we shouldn't wear garments that have mixed, uh, you know, kinds of materials. Well, no, those kinds of laws are not binding us anymore. But just look at the Ten Commandments. And by the way, the Ten Commandments is really, it's not about me being righteous. It's about how I treat other people. Because law, the perfect law of God shows the perfect love of the heart of God. And it's not loving to kill people or to commit adultery or to lie. It's not loving to live in those ways. The message we're going to hear in Hebrews about Jesus' worthiness to be our sacrifice and God's acceptance of His offering for sin and the beauty that we have, the beauty of salvation that we have in Jesus when the law only condemned us, the beautiful law condemned us, is just astounding. And you thought so too at one time, didn't you? This gospel message. Look, the point of Hebrews is just like Jesus grows in our hearts and minds, the gospel, the truth of the gospel ought to grow in our hearts and minds as well. We ought to love it more now than we've ever loved it before. And even though you are no longer where you were, maybe spiritually, maybe you're going through a rough patch, Maybe you're not as encouraged or excited as you were. The greatness of the gospel, though, has not diminished one iota. Motivation to love God and to love people is far greater in response to what Jesus has done for us than it is trying to win God's approval because our motives just get all messed up whenever we do that. What what happens to you when you seek to win someone's approval and you don't get it? Well, you're really upset with the other person, right? How dare you? Not, I was as nice and kind as I could possibly be to you. And you're treating me like this? Who was it about to begin with? It's about me, wasn't it? Well, what if you just seek to check off marks on the law in order To be worthy or deserving of going to heaven. It's not happening. None of us deserves to go to heaven. No matter how good our marks are. The gospel relieves us from the delusion that we can be good enough. The delusion of our self-righteousness. And it also relieves us though of the guilt of our sins. My goodness. If you're a sensitive person. Probably guilt is your constant companion. I know all about that. The gospel removes the guilt of our sin. So if this gospel is good news, why this warning? Good question and one that we're going to address in the second point. Which is keep your eyes on Jesus by staying in the word. My friend Jimmy Elliott, my football friend is here today. My goodness Those of you who have heard Jimmy preach would have been excited. You probably were excited when you saw him come in. You're thinking, maybe Jimmy's going to preach today. The journey that God has allowed us to walk together deeper and deeper into the gospel has been a wonderful thing. I just wish you could be in on some of our conversations. One of the things that we talked about, in fact, our other two friends, the four of us get together, Dave Brown and Denton White, we met without Jimmy on Friday for lunch. Um, I usually, you know, I'm pretty good ways on my sermon or well into it by Friday lunch. And then I meet with what Linda called the rabbis. She used to call us the rabbis. Which we ought to probably change that name because law and gospel kind of a thing, you know. But but anyway, she, 
then I'll hear what those guys say and I'll go home and I'll rewrite the sermon, you know. So, uh, or I have something that, this is something that I'm adding. It's something that I know about, but it was an emphasis on Friday. We make a big mistake as believers when we separate the works of God, especially with regard to salvation, justification. We are justified. We are stand before God because of Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. But then sanctification, you know, is that growth and it's us becoming more like Jesus, except it all happens simultaneously all the time. If someone asks you, Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. She would say, oh, I remember. And, and it would be right for you to say this. This is not what, I'm not saying this is wrong. It would be right for you to say, oh, I was living my life for myself. And then the Lord came, into me, came to me and I realized the weight of my sin. And I cried out to Jesus. And it was an amazing change in my life because of what God did for me. Some of you, many of you would say, I grew up in a Christian home and I can't remember not being a Christian. And you know what? That really is the expectation of this covenant God. This God who has a relationship with his covenant family, the community. Your children, by the way, you're, so many of you are tempted to say, I want my child... To make his own decision. Don't let him make his own decision. Tell him about the Lord. Expect that he or she will come to Christ. Hindus aren't doing it. Muslims aren't doing it. And they're having a lot more babies than you are. Expect that your children will believe. That's an okay thing. But we talk about what happened in the past. But Scripture, as often as not, presents salvation as something that is happening right now. The Gospel of John, the book of 1 John, most of the times you see the word believe, it's written in the present tense in the Greek, and that means it's a continual action. And in fact, it was the thing that finally helped me to overcome doubt about my salvation. When someone said, because I said, oh, did I say the right words? Did I, was I sincere enough? Was I ba- I, if I pray now, do I have to get baptized? No, that would be kind of a word. I mean, my, I was a mess for five years. And then someone pointed out, and when John says in 1 John 5, 1, the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That that's written in the Greek like this, the one who is believing. That Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. Not what did you do, what do you believe? Right now, what is it? What is your hope of heaven? Oh, well, I was baptized when I... Don't depend on that. Don't depend on what happened back then. For us to say... Well, you know, look, I'm not doing too well, but I know I'm saved. I was saved. I was baptized, all of that. I'm afraid there's a warning for you in Hebrews. Have you drifted away from Jesus? There's going to be a strong call to spiritual maturity in Hebrews. And that can only occur as our understanding of Scripture grows. When you think about growing as a believer, it helps to know that God is, a, is the one helping you to grow. And he has provided what theologians have called means of grace to help you grow spiritually. Scripture, the reading of Scripture, prayer, fasting, church attendance, the sacraments, preaching, all are a means of grace to us. And the warning passages are, if you will, meet God's means of grace for us. I believe in eternal security in every fiber of my being. If, that's another term that's not really fleshed out like we want it to be in Scripture. But Scripture talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the non-refundable deposit of the Holy Spirit into our lives. I believe that, but I believe that God has also said to me, one who is secure in his salvation... Don't you walk away from Jesus. There is danger in doing that.
We've talked about battling with sin. Such as discipline, lust, greed, etc. Being normal for believers. We didn't, I didn't identify them, but you, you were thinking about sins when I talked about that battle that goes on for the believer. But God has given help to address those areas of need. And as we stay in the word, we will look increasingly like Jesus. Although there will be times it doesn't seem to be happening at all. The last verses that we'll come to in the next few weeks in Hebrews 2 are words of great comfort and assurance for believers. Just because you are not where you want to be as a Christian, don't think that this text is meant to scare you. Really, fear of God is right, but you don't need to be fearful that God is going to abandon you or that you might abandon God. Just believe His promises. And when you start to think, oh, this is hard, these verses are there to remind you that what we're talking about, what we're believing is a serious, serious, matter not to be taken lightly on the other hand if you're thinking well i used to believe in jesus but i don't know about all that now then according to this text you're in danger of judgment consider hebrews to be a wake-up call to you it's not okay that you think just because you prayed a prayer years ago that you can be in and out of this life whenever it suits you If you were in the Word and if you did not invoke Scripture so much trying to prove the points that you want to make so that you can live your life the way you want to, you wouldn't be drifting away from Jesus. You would also know God's will in your life, which is this last point. Pursue holiness as one who belongs to Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. This has been a tough week for me, living in this text. It's been a hard week. The warning passages are not meant to be taken lightly. And I promise you, I have not taken this passage lightly. God wouldn't let me. And aren't you grateful that God won't let you just kind of live the way you want to live? He's not going to allow my pride or my tendency toward negativity to reign or my careless thoughts and actions. He's just not going to, he's not going to let me live in that place. He's going to draw me constantly back to himself. Not that I'm not careless. I am careless. I say foolish things. I do foolish things. And God's always drawing me back to himself. And in His Word, when I seek Him in His Word, I find a holy God who has saved me and who desires me to live like Him and also frees me from the freedom of the guilt of my sin, which in turn gives me a much greater chance of being holy when I realize what He has done for me. Furthermore, He has given the Spirit to live inside of me. To constantly remind me of His love and His grace for me through His Word. But the Spirit also that has given me spiritual gifts that allow me to serve the bride for whom Christ died. His church. And... I would love to talk about the great encouragement right now. I, I know you're ready to go to lunch, but again, how se- I'm not going to extend this, but how serious? Think about the things that... Really? Really? That are so important to us. There's great encouragement coming in the remainder of Hebrews 2 over these next three or four weeks. But for today... It is enough for me to acknowledge what a shame it is if I neglect such a great salvation. What danger there is when I neglect such a great salvation. Let's pray.
Father, we've been in and out of this life, this walk with you, um, plenty in our lives. And so we read verses like this, and it gives us pause, and it makes us think, hmm, is he talking to me? Well, yes, you're talking to all of us. When you warn us not to walk away from Jesus. But Lord Jesus is where we find freedom. And don't let the enemy take these words that are meant to help us. And use them against us. And cause us to be despairing and full of guilt. No, just turn our hearts to Jesus. Turn our eyes to him. Let us live as those who belong to you. In Jesus name. Amen. And we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Go in peace this week.